Just do it! Howdy, and welcome to this week's episode of Beers with Engineers, a podcast by Engineering Dads, where if it looks stupid but it works, then it's not stupid. This episode, we are talking all things research, especially the common phrase, do your own research. The fellas are going to discuss how it's done right, how it's done wrong, and how to improve on conducting your own research. To see more Engineering Dads content like this, head to our YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok on our link above to see our other projects. Let's crack on. And welcome back to another episode of Beers with Engineers. You know the drill? Oh, shit. I just I cracked it and it got all over my microphone. You got it all over the microphone, didn't you? <laughs> God damn nice it. Nice moist it's microphone. Another, it's another laptop incident all over again. Yeah, not another one. Thank God. <laughs> please, please. You know, it's all good. We're, we're getting over the hump. But, you know, speaking of uh, spilling water over stuff, Sean, what are we talking about today? The 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 captain of open ended questions and segues, Patty. You're you're amazing at this. Well, thank you. I, I try my best. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, something that I've heard recently, and you well not recently, you hear it a lot, is when people kind of get pushed into an argument, they come back with the same kind of words. Do your own research. No. Do you know who doesn't say do your own research? People, people who that do, do fucking, fucking research. research for a living. <laughs> <laughs> people who actually do research don't tell you to do research you know why because research is a very difficult task not many people do it you know if you had a circle of the people that say do your own research and the people that don't know how to do a bibliography it's a fucking circle i swear to god i am sick of hearing people say do your own research and there's a lot of reasons why James, have you got any examples when people have said, do your own research, and it's just straight up porridge? Oh, 100%. Like, I've heard it a lot in the last year with a lot of things coming around about climate change and COVID and all that sort of jazz. I used to work with a bloke, right? And we'd be sitting down at the table having our morning tea or whatnot, and we get into these long-ass arguments. And like you said, it always came down to the same saying. But he would always say, I've done my research. I know I'm right. I'm just asking you to have an open mind. I'm like, there's no having an open mind to when something's actual fact. So I'm like, all right, you've done research. Cool. What's your bibliography? What's your source? And he just goes, oh, of course you young Gen X, uh, Gen Z's asking for my source. Like, you always have to ask where the source is. I'm like, no, well, come on. If it's research, you have to have a source. There has to be a database of where you got your information. I want to know where it's been recorded. And he goes, oh, like I've seen many um, YouTube videos, but these many of the YouTube videos that collide together, I'm like, Oh, cool. Show me whether you like, can you send me the link? He goes, Yeah, I'll send you the link now. And it was a Sky News article on um, a debunking climate change. <laughs> it's so an opinion like, right. fucking I like, piece. I was like, you know what? I'll give this a crack. I want to see what all the bullshit's about. It was a fucking geologist trying to crack down on climate change. <laughs> Someone who studies rocks. It's like, Sean, it's like me coming up and me like, I'm a chemical engineer. I know more about solar panels than you do. It doesn't make any sense. It's not my field. So the research is automatically invalid because there's no accreditation. Yeah. It, it, it just it really pisses me off when I see like these examples of uh, opinion pieces. And you see this a lot in private news articles where they have this big long article about, oh, this person's really bad. This political leader is really bad. You shouldn't believe in this. And it's an opinion piece. And this is, this is kind of the problem that we're mistaking people's opinions and generally speaking, loud opinions, which sell more papers um, for news, which it really isn't. And that, then I hate that, and people go, "Oh no, I heard someone else say it." What What does Alan Jones know about climate change? 
Like, he barely taught science, and he was a bad teacher for a few different reasons. We will not bring him up on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's that's great, because something I try to think about is the different type of researchers we have available to us, and what research actually is. So, I like to categorize it between three based off something I actually saw online by a good researcher. We have what's called primary, secondary, and bullshit research. So, primary research is conducting your own clinical trials in a controlled manner, using the scientific method. So the scientific method is when you take a hypothesis, you say something is something and you don't even give a reason why. You just assume it is that and you give your testing variables. So uh, for example, this can of Canadian Club that I'm drinking, I'm going to test the average time it takes me to scull that. I'm going to test it 20 times. I'm going to make sure I haven't got a sore throat. I'm completely healthy. Um, The weather's the exact same. And then after 20 times of doing it, I might come to a conclusion that it takes between 14 to 20 seconds for me to scull that. Pretty pathetic, I must say. Actually, that's that's a very long time. I don't know where that number came from. Um, so I, I want to see you do these first-hand experiments. <laughs> Anywho, some- I think we have. I think we. I have. think we have. Yeah, true. I think it's faster than that. Hundred. Uh, a high-level example, though, is testing a drug on a set number of subjects, followed by a meta-analysis on your results, surveying a number of people in a controlled location of the type of food they eat. So conducting those surveys and doing statistical analysis on the results. It's a direct type of research, hands-on, and it tests the hypothesis set for by the researcher. Secondary research is now collecting and reporting the results from primary research. So if you do your research correctly, this is the type of research that you do. So you actually go online, you find those peer-reviewed articles, you have a look at the results, you have a look at the methods, but if you don't understand what you're looking at, then you're not doing research. So you actually have to be somewhat related to that field. So for someone like myself, I can look, I, I can comfortably look at a scientific journal and I still won't say I've done my research on it. I'll say I saw this journal. It's up to you how you interpret it. So I've got a couple of examples on on that where that's gone wrong. We'll come back to that soon. Uh, thirdly, we have bullshit research. So this is where we see most of the time what we've seen recently. This is looking at posts on Instagram, looking at comments on YouTube and Facebook, um, hearing someone say, I've got a PhD in this when they have a PhD in something completely opposite, like the geologist friend from Sky News, watching a biased video that has no accreditation like Game Changers or Sky News, Googling something and taking the answer on that website as face value and not checking it off against other sources and not checking to see if it has references. And lastly, and happy for anyone to disagree with this, but just reading news. If you see something on the news, don't assume it's true. Yeah, absolutely. I I think a good quote that I kind of live by I'm not sure if this is someone else's quote, but it was something that I kind of made up myself. But in an age of the internet and like fast information, ignorance is a willful choice. Some people choose not to believe and, and refuse to admit when they're wrong. And this is leading us down a really dangerous path. In a time when we have access to so much information that we could, we could educate ourselves really quickly, we are ed- educating ourselves the wrong way. And I absolutely believe it's a choice now because some people just go out of the way and refuse to admit they can be wrong. It's so dangerous uh, with Google these days. Another brilliant quote by Mark Twain. It's go. It says, it's not what we don't know. It's what we think we know, but just isn't so, is what's mm. really dangerous. Mm. Very similar to what mm. you yeah. just said. Beautiful, beautiful quote, Mark. Mm. So... That's the thing. There's nothing wrong with being wrong. There's nothing wrong with not knowing something. People are so afraid to ask a question these days. Like, you know, I'm afraid to ask Sean about how fast he can scull a beer because I'm worried it might be one second faster than mine. And, you know, when we might do that experiment, we might not. And it's not even just with researching stuff, just asking questions about random stuff. Like whenever I go to, you know, the supermarket or something, I'm always asking just like, oh, where's, you know, where's the eggs? Where's the bread? Whatever. I go with my girlfriend. She'll happily walk around 
for a half an hour, not asking, because he just doesn't want to talk to anybody mm. or ask <laughs> ask anyone anything. So it's like, look, we're we're here to find one thing. Let's ask somebody, and they can point it in the in the right direction. Yeah, yeah. I think that like, how, how do you describe? It just I feel like so many people aren't aren't really prepared to ask the question, and too many people seem way too confident in things they have no idea what they're talking about. Like, again. Don't take information off TikTok. That's not where you should get your health advice from. But too, no. a lot of people do. It's so annoying. Yeah. No. I, I just, I just, I decided to use one of your examples, Sean, when we were discussing this, this type of idea, where it's like, oh, I mean, if you put, if you word it a specific way into Google, you will get the answer that you want. And I was like, okay, cool. So you use the example. Um, if you type in, is the sky purple, or something, like that. I decided, you know what? I just typed in, is the sky green? And it says, during tornadoes, the sky may appear green. And I was like, no, what? And even I was confused. I was like, wouldn't it be appear more grayish? That's a good way of gaslighting yourself, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And and like I was going to touch on this later because this has been um, a foundation for a lot of really bad statistical analysis where you can search by... Uh, why is this specific race? Why is this specific gender like this or like that? And you will find certain things that pop up which agree with your with what your question is has been posed. The way you've posed the question is incorrect because you're looking at for a specific answer. You're trying to find solutions and information that back you up. And I can almost guarantee you that information is wrong. Um, so another way of explaining this is the way to explain truth. And truth can be... It was described by Neil deGrasse Tyson um, in three different ways. Now, Neil deGrasse Tyson, very famous astronomer, um, but he he labeled truth in three different ways. So the first one is political truth, and these are truths that exist based on in like incessant increased um, no incessant repetition. There we go. Can we cut that one out of the podcast, Patty? Um, no. <laughs> political truths are based. <laughs> no, keep it in. Political truths. Yeah, oh, whatever. Political truths are based on repetition. If you say it enough times, people will believe you. Again, this is the famous way of saying gaslight, to gaslight someone, to say it enough times that they finally believe it, right? The other one is personal truths, truths that apply to you and to small groups or maybe big groups, but they don't apply to everyone. A great example is religion. Everyone has different personal truths. And they believe that they are right and fair enough. We are not there to bag them. (laughs) But not everyone believes it. And the final one is objective truth, which means it is true regardless of where you believe in it. And it's proven by evidence. Now, this is things like gravity. This is things like, um, I don't know, what's some some things that are really basic. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Death and taxes. Yeah. Objective truths. They will happen. No one can break those cycles unless you're like a billionaire that you can avoid tax. But the the point being is objective truths are true in all situations. Trying to find and and to filter things into those areas uh, are really difficult. The whole idea behind the Nazi regime is a personal truth. Everyone in that party, everyone in that country who supported that believed in it, even though those the information they gave out was absolute garbage. So, and you can easily go down that spiral path again. Would you say someone who thrives off personal truths, for example, maybe a religious extremist, and in their book of, um, you know, their book of wisdom, so their Bible, for example, it states that you know same-sex marriage isn't allowed. Do you think they're more biased to be homophobic than your average person, for example? And they would reference their Bible as the source of truth. 
Well, that's the thing is that's, I guess you're right. Yeah, because certain people in the same religion could look at that and they would have a different personal truth based on the same information, right? The number of people, the number of times it says you, it's like a sin to be homophobic or to be gay or something in the Bible is like three or four times. The number of times it says don't eat shrimps, like eight. Yeah. And so you can choose to eat shrimp and be homophobic, but that's not your personal truth. Me, I could hate shrimp, but I'm not, I'm not going to be like bashing another person for their sexual orientation. Again, we're both in our own personal truth. It, it, it differs. It's it's true to you. Yeah. That's the problem. But it's not true to everyone, which is the issue. It needs to be true to everyone for you to base action on it. That's that's an excellent point, though, on the religious part, is because there's always been the argument on religion that if we were to lose religion and ev- everyone was to become atheists, then we'd lose all morality in the world. No one would have morals. No one would have ethics because morals and ethics were originally, originally built on religion, which I find is an absolute load of shit. Because <laughs> I was about to say, yeah, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> and, and multiple surveys have been done since that. And that's, again, coming back to the primary research. It's like, where do you get your ethics and values from? And interestingly enough, it comes back down to the result of, well, religious people, they... So say, for example, you talk about murder. It's just like, no, I 100% don't believe in murder because it's my religion not to believe in murder. You ask someone who's an atheist on their opinion on it, and they just go, I also think murder is wrong. But if that person were Adolf Hitler and they were trying to wipe out that that entire population or race, then of course, taking that person off the face of the earth is the right thing to do. Like we have to, we have to get rid of that toxicity. So it's not like you're getting rid of your ethics and morals. It just becomes more cascaded. They still come from somewhere. And again, use surveys to debunk that. It sounds more like uh, people twisting twisting words to fit, the way they want to tell something or fit the story that they want to tell, if that mm. makes sense. Just like, sort of like King Henry VIII, you know? <laughs> he, he started an entire religion so he can divorce his wife. But it was yeah, comp- absolutely correct. The Anglican church came because he didn't want to, he didn't want to, he wanted a new wife and the yeah. church wouldn't let him. And he, he only did it because his grounds was that it was my brother's wife, it was, she was my brother's wife before he passed away, and then when I became king, I got his basically his sloppy seconds. Hello, mate. What's going on? Did you, the dude was like overweight, like crazy. He got everyone's sloppy seconds. What is he talking about? You know what? You know, that, if, I don't know if you guys seen that that show uh, Tudors that had like kind of very heavily, heavily dramatizes like his life. Like everyone in that is straight up ten out of tens. Like everyone's drop dead gorgeous, and when in real life, I'm thinking, bro, you were a ginger. And you could barely touch your own toes. Like <laughs> also, also again, this is uh, a bit of a um, personal truth. Um, p- attractive people at that time were not good looking. Attractive people were the people who were overweight because you could afford to eat more. That yeah. was the idea of attraction. You look at the portraits; no. a lot of them are overweight. We, we we think that historical people are attractive because you know Hollywood superstars. Yeah. Uh, portraying them in films and stuff. You know, there, there was a movie like about, about the uh, Anne Boleyn and the Boleyn sisters. One of them was portrayed by Scarlett Johansson. You know, she, you know, great actress, very beautiful. But, you there know, in go. real life, she's not Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, exactly. Well, that, I mean, that's just another uh, an example of like twisting a bit of the narrative to, to fit what we believe in. Again, that's a bit of a long one. Um, all right, gentlemen. Um, I kind of want to quickly talk about bias, and this is kind of more the statistical analysis, and this is something I always seem to hate when people go, oh, have you looked at the numbers? 
Have you looked? Have you looked at the numbers underneath? And it it pisses me the fuck off yeah. when people like pretend to understand what sa- samples and um, like the the underlying values of uh, like research is. And again, James, what you were talking about before in terms of like first hand research, one of the the critical elements of first hand research for it to be peer reviewed is you can get the exact same documents. It's like a recipe, right? This number of people, this different age group, this location with this certain like uh, control, you should get almost the exact same value, right? You should be able to copy it from one to another. And that's why they do peer review, so you can do it across the world and be- becomes like a a trend you agree with. With certain people with sampling, they get the data where before it's been peer reviewed, so you don't know if that data is real, and they just run with it. Great example was the um the Egyptian study on ivermectin, which is being pushed through by one certain federal member from this area, which I will not name. And it turned out, like, all the data was incorrect. Like, all the numbers were wrong, just made up, like, copy and paste. Some guy in England was like, I I can see where you copy and paste the same value, like, ten times in a row. Like, it's very clearly incorrect. I can't even redo this sample because your data is so incorrect. Anyways... So that, that's actually an example of one of the, the three main biases that come up, and that is sampling bias, where you're trying to sample certain things that don't reflect the actual trend. And actually, James, you had one on that documentary on Netflix, right, where they did something very similar. Yeah, yeah, uh, Game Changers. So everyone would have seen this in 2019. It was a very popular documentary. It was basically showing that if you went vegan, you could be a better bodybuilder than the man next door eating meat. And I'm not going to get into the ethics of eating meat, but basically there were so many things scientifically inaccurate with this. I think they were like, oh, this guy went vegan and he did the battle ropes for 60 minutes, pretty much suggesting that if you turn vegan, you can go and do the battle ropes for 60 minutes versus someone who can probably do it for two minutes, which is like, that's, that, that's an example of where correlation just doesn't equal causation, right? But the one mm. thing I really grabbed onto and I really didn't, like that really shocked me when I heard it was they did the burrito test, right? And what they did was they gave three athletes... Um, two separate burritos. One burrito was like this vegan mince burrito and another burrito was just a normal mince burrito. So this had like really high saturated fatty meats in it and they said, all right, what we're going to do is we're going to give you guys these burritos and we're going to test your blood straight after. So they gave them the vegan burrito, tested their bloods and it was nice and clear. They then gave them the, the burrito with very high saturated meats in it, tested their blood again and they found this little bit of white residue and the person doing the research was like, see, this is the effect of eating meat. This is why you shouldn't eat it. Look what it's doing to your blood. This is why it's causing cancer. And then there was this whole like thing about it. It was, hang on a minute. That was very high saturated. What if you ate like a barramundi burrito? What if you ate a chicken burrito, like a lean chicken breast burrito? Mm. I was like, this is not a fair test. Like this is just sampling bias here. You've purposely picked one of the highest saturated fat meat contents you can find just to show that being vegan is more healthier for you and trust me being vegan is more healthier for you but the way they showed it was just so wrong trying to skew the bodybuilding community over to plant-based foods yeah well that sounds more like a qualitative test than a quantitative test because with a qualitative test is just like indicators right like oh does it do this does it do that but you're right they didn't do a full range of tests they've got two ends of the extreme and so you don't really understand how how damaging i guess eating meat is they're just saying oh it's super super bad um and additionally too you don't they didn't give you a measurement they didn't say it's exactly this bad this is how much the the short this how much extra fat is in your system or 
I'm not too sure oh, what the metric they were using. I, th- I think they did show like increased levels of triglycerides and um, cholesterol and like stuff like that. But yeah, well, increase. So again, they show increases, but they don't. Do they provide exact values? No, and they don't show any statistical analysis. What they're supposed to do is show that there's a variance to the mean, which basically means that this is the group of non-meat. This is the group of meat. There is statistical significance of eating saturated fatty, and I'm sure there would be 100. percent But mm. again, they haven't picked a range of samples. Yeah, it, it's hard to use an argument like that because, yeah, there's qualitative analysis there. You can say that, yeah, okay, so there's there's a little bit of indication that this might cause it, but you can't be using it as, like, your your golden goose, right? You can't be like, yeah, exactly, this is exactly why you should get off it. Yeah, You haven't given enough information. It's a really simple test. I could do it at home, and the reason they did it on Netflix is because it's so simple. Yep. It's easy to explain, easy to understand, but it's not research, and so it shouldn't be used as evidence like they've used in this show. I've got two more myth and debunked, and I'm happy to give them now if you guys want to mm, shoot for it. So, this myth that we've heard a lot, and thanks to Hollywood, like films like Lucy and um, Limitless. Oh, mm. Limitless, yeah. Is, and the TV show for it too. Yeah. Is that humans only use 10% of their brain, fact, uh, brain function. So, this was highly believed by about 70% of students they conducted in a survey. And where this came from was t- from two Harvard psychologists in the 1890s. And they actually made this claim after the theory of an accelerated raising of someone called William Citus, who was able to attend Harvard by the age of 11. So by close monitoring of this very smart young individual who was pushed through his early childhood into the smarts, um, they were like, right, like this guy can only use 10% of his brain function. That just became a fact from there on. Not an actual fact, but they just made a claim. From then, we've had technologies can you guys think of a technology that would have completely debunked this in the medical industry right like a head scan a ct scan exactly mri scan so looking at mris what they've been able to see is well hang on a sec look at all these lights if you only use 10 percent of your brain function then you would only see 10 percent of this blue illuminated light on an mri scan so how do you use 10 mm-hmm. percent of your brain function like your brain function changes depending on the task you're doing like right now, I'm probably using a lot more because I'm trying to, you know, speak, recall information for the podcast, everything like that. When I go to bed, I probably don't even use as low as 10, maybe as low as 10%. I don't know. I'm not the person yeah. doing the research. But the fact that this was taken as face value and people started believing it because it was put through into Hollywood movies as well because Morgan Freeman was talking about it. Great actor, by the way. I freaking love Morgan Freeman. But I mean, he has such a believable voice. It's hard not to trust him. It's literally God speaking. <laughs> mm, true he plays a good god um yeah oh. mm. the last the last one i've got i'm just going to say because it resonates with the recent times is a myth that recent vaccines have not been tested properly in animals all animals in the trial died as a result of a new vaccine and there has been no studies to show how effective the vaccine is in animals it's truth from a sign from a study done by researchers at BioNTech, pfizer national primate center new iberia research center and the university of texas medical branch and quote from this specific journal only mice with unobjectable health status were selected for testing procedures. One passage. In another passage, each candidate vaccine induced a high-function antibody response in mice. So, this is just quoting a summary from the research paper. I'm not going to go into the numbers because it's boring to talk about that. But that's coming as a summary inside the research paper. So, again, that's just doing secondary research, going into a peer-reviewed journal and going... Right, well, this is based on what someone's done, what's been peer-reviewed. I'm comfortable to now take this as face value 
and believe mm. it because I've seen it being accredited somewhere. I haven't watched it in a news article. I haven't read the news article and gone, sweet, this is reported by ABC News or um, Sydney Morning Herald or Sky News. You name the endless list because that's not face value. And this is the point yeah. that we try and make. Something you talk, something you kind of mentioned on before as well um, was causation doesn't equal correlation. And I've got actually a funny, funny example of this. Um, so this is technically called an omitted variable. And this is a type of bias where you look at things which don't have a relation, but you insinuate a relation. And there's a lot of things, things. If you look at like incorrect correlations on the web, they're like number of pineapples imported to the US and number of wars started by Vietnam. Things that should not be related, but have a very similar <laughs> correlation line. It's kind of weird. And the the first one that I thought was really, really interesting was in 1980, a guy named Robert Matthews, he decided he discovered a really high correlation between two things. Like birth, birth rate, population, and number of storks. And so this is after 1980. This is in 1980. So this is after the Hans Christian Andersen story of a stork bringing babies. But you could argue that his research said, you know what? Maybe the story has more truth. The number of storks equals the number of people born. So if you want to have a high population, you need to have more storks in your country. And the evidence could suggest that if you were an idiot. <laughs> this is the problem. If you use the wrong information, you're going to find out it was incorrect. It turns out why the, the number of storks are so high is because um, the area he looked at was one Holland, which is a very small landmass, which had like 30, 30 storks, and then Turkey, which had like a few thousand. And again, almost very similar populations at the time. It was landmass more than anything. But using the wrong data, you can apply and create an argument which sounds dumb and you can say oh my my argument my research backs it up no no it doesn't <laughs> i just yeah. fucking hate this so correlation not equal equaling causation is a very dangerous thing but it's also very mm. easily believable if you're not someone who's exposed to stats and how how to pretty much act on it how how would you suggest to any average person sean how not to follow correlation equals causation how to actually believe a trend so for example with climate trends how to believe mm. there's a function of time the temperatures increasing because I know I know a couple of ways but I want to see like what you'd suggest to a person looking at a graph well you need to have a look at like is there a direct relationship between the two so for example if I talked about the storks and population one right you'd say oh this doesn't really they look like they're they're perfectly aligned the number of storks have been changing number of population changes at an exact rate but if you if you look at the data the real correlation is the like the growth, the population growth, and the size of the country. And the size of the country determined both the population as well as the number of storks developing in that area at the time. Um, and so you've got to really figure out, is there a, it, what is the relationship between the two things that are the two factors? So an example, climate change, you've got carbon dioxide and methane and the, the, like liquid vapor and high atmosphere. And you've also got the change of temperature. Now I can correctly list and like have an, a chemical equilibrium between the the reason why temperature is changing, and then you can then use the correlation to say, okay, this is why temperatures are rising because the CO twos are going up, and there's a direct relationship. You need to find the direct relationship between the two things, and then use correlation, not the other way around. Yeah. I like how you mentioned the actual population size as well and how many people in that area at a time and the number of stalks because what you would do in an actual statistical test is you would have different groups. Rather than looking at the, the uh, comparing different rates, you would say, this is group A where the population in this area 
is 1,000 for argument's sake, and this is group B, where the population is 5,000 for argument's sake. Now let's look mm-hmm. at the number of stalks that are being planted in this area and that's still a proper mean test. And is the mean higher in this area? Yes, because I have more people who can grow stalks, not the Sorry, other way around. Sto- stalks is the white bird that carries the bird in like um, fables, just to give you a heads up. Oh, okay. I was thinking stalks are like of a, of a plant. But <laughs> yeah, like it's, it's really planting. I was like, wait a second. <laughs> it's really like... <laughs> all good, all good. Yeah. Similar sort of situation. Go by the go by the group. Don't go from the rate back to the mm. group. You always have to start at a source. Agreed. And they also found out that when they did like localized analysis using the exact same hypothesis, it was completely disproved. Some areas had heaps of stalks, some areas that didn't, and it had the exact same population um, density. So it was like, oh, okay, so this is very, very wrong. The data you looked at was not well sampled. Um but that was one type of the uh, omitted variable uh, bias. And the f- last one, I think Patty talked about this, is confirmational bias. When you, when you look at things through a certain lens, you can easily find information that agrees with you. And a great way to, to explain this is uh, look at the internet as a tool, right? The same way a axe is a tool, right? If you have an axe, you can use that tool very effectively. That axe is designed to, say, chop down wood, um, but you can also use it as a, as a paperweight, right? It's a tool. You do what you want. You can also use it to uh, uh, as a tool for murder. There's a lot of things you can use that tool for, but that tool has no feeling. There's no emotion. It's only effective in your hands, right? And so Google is the exact same thing. The internet is the exact same thing. You can find things which it's which is incorrect very easily, or you can use it correctly. And the problem with Google is it doesn't care what you're searching for, more or less, unless it's like really, really bad shit and Google flags it. But with Google, with the internet, you can find very quickly information that can confirm your bias. And so like when you see people saying, oh, I found research on this and it's an opinion piece on YouTube. I mean, that's straight up. There's clearly red flags there. And so you've got to really challenge people on where did you get that information from? Why is your opinion that way? And generally speaking, you can easily change people's opinion if you get the right information across and if they're willing to change. Anyways, confirmational bias, everybody. Nice. Don't do your own research sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I guess if you, if you were to do your own research, how would you go about it? Just don't do it or just trust the professionals? No, I'd just well, say trust I- the pre- professionals, honestly. <laughs> Like, save the time doing your own research. You don't have to do that. Yeah. Well, like, research, to to learn how to research, it takes, like, four or five years, right, to properly research because the number of people who say, I've done my research, really, has you got it peer-reviewed? Have you got it checked? What mark did you get? What was your bibliography? How was your references? How many times have you repeated the experiment? Very, it's almost never. They just find some person who else agrees with them and goes, I've done my research. <laughs> yeah, it, I, it, oh. it doesn't matter how much the research is or how like how effective or even correct it is, there's always going to be people that are not going to agree with what is fact. Yeah, absolutely. There's sometimes when you you can literally prove to someone that they are wrong, but pride gets in the way and they will refuse to admit it. And um, I thought the example was having a discussion with someone who won't admit they're wrong is like playing chess with a pigeon. No matter how smart your move is, no matter how well you execute, that pigeon's going to knock over some pieces, it's going to strut around pretending like it's one, and it's going to shit all over the yeah. board. I'm like dying to use examples from Squid Game here, but let's not put any spoilers yeah. on. 
And so, like, with those people, it's very hard to convince them. So, honestly, I would say don't. Don't try and convince people that are not going to be convinced. There's no point wasting energy on a brick wall. Alrighty, guys. Well, we're pretty much good to wrap it up there. That's been an excellent podcast on how to study, how to research. This podcast isn't research, by the way. By listening to this, nothing we're saying is actually something you should believe straight away. You should do your own research on that topic. Nothing is fact. Everything is a lie. Nothing is true. Everything um, is permitted. 100%. Look, what we're saying is we're not saying don't do your own research. We definitely encourage people to be curious and to learn. But the first thing you need to go into when you're doing research is, one, admit when you're wrong. You might have a confirmation. You might have a, a precognition of what you want the information to be. And most of the time, information is not always going to agree with you. And so be ready to admit that you're wrong. That's the first part of being an engineer, is to admit that sometimes you're wrong is a better way to go about it. Same for information. And again, look at where the information is coming from. Understand it. Really get your fingers into it before making an opinion. There is nothing worse to democracy than uneducated populace. And so right now, with ignorance being so high and lack of information being out there, we encourage you to do research, but do it properly and and be prepared to be changed by it. That's what the job is. Anyways, let's uh, let's wrap up on that note then, shall we, boys? No worries. It's been Engineering Dads. Hope everyone enjoyed the episode. We'll see you later. See you, everybody.